following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. What does God think of homosexuals? What does God think of lesbians? What does God think about transgender? He loves them. He loves them. God loves them like He loves all those without Christ. And as a result, if you're a Christian, you must love them too. God desires all sinners to come to repentance. And friends, you don't have to be a homosexual or a lesbian or a transgender to be considered a sinner and end up in hell. Every person alive, every human being is headed to eternal torment in hell because of our sin. Human beings, we love to compare, do we not? Uh, I'm better than this guy, I'm better than that guy. We love to make that comparison. But when you begin to compare yourself to who God is, and you begin to see yourself in light of His perfection, His righteousness, His holiness, His sinlessness, and then you begin to see your lust, your pride, your selfishness, your anger, your envy, slander, or gossip, you realize that you stand condemned before a holy, righteous, perfect God. You do. In fact, you should go to eternal torment forever along with anyone who's immoral. Without the sin of homosexuality, those who practice that lifestyle will still end up in eternal hell unless they repent and are transformed by Jesus Christ. We are all sinners before a perfect God. The Bible clearly teaches that homosexuality and lesbianism is sin. God made each one here male or female, so to try to change your sex is actually rebellion to Him. But you and I are no better than anyone before a holy God. Yes, the Bible teaches that those immoral sins are evidence of a decline of society and the destruction of what God has ordained and designed. The Bible teaches that God designed marriage for one man and one woman for life. The Bible teaches that sex is not for any male or any female. God designed sex for a male husband, a female wife, in the covenant, the bond, and the vow of marriage. The Bible teaches that the only hope for the immoral is the work of Christ on their behalf. They need Christ. They need the gospel. They need to be transformed internally. They need to be born again, and so do you. But now we have anti-Christian governments that want to pass laws to keep believers from sharing this good news that Christ can forgive all their sin and make them right before Him, and we can't share that with those who need that message the most. What in the world is going on? The LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, where is God in all of this? And what should we do in response? 
Well, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Hopefully you have got your outline, but you need to have an open Bible today, and it needs to be in Romans chapter 1, because God's never wrong word explains the why of the LGBTQ proliferation. These verses spell out why there's increasing wickedness. But in order to grasp what God says here in this section, you've got to see the context, and that's why I want you to have an open Bible here. This is the first major section in Romans, which started in chapter 1, verse 18, the verse after the introduction, 118 is the beginning of this particular section, and it's warning you about God's wrath against sin. It's warning you against his wrath against sin, and in this powerful courtroom scene, Paul has just told you in verses 19 to 23 why God's wrath is being poured out against mankind. It's asking and answering the question, why is God angry? Why is he angry? Because of godlessness. That's rejecting, you know, God. It's basically living life without God. And wickedness, which is a defiance against God. And basically he's saying those two reasons why God is angry. And God says every human being who has ever walked this planet has seen the unmistakable signs of one creator. And God has made sure that those clues resonate in everyone's heart so that everyone everywhere knows without a doubt there is a God who is both all-powerful and worthy of our worship in verses 19 and 20. 19 and 20, that there is a God and it's obvious that he is both all-powerful and worthy of their worship. But rather than responding to truth, what do we do? Well, That truth is painted all over the planet, and yet unbelievers push the truth down. Listen, when you're talking to somebody, they go, I don't believe that. It's because they're pushing the truth down. They're suppressing the truth. Whenever they feel it rise into the surface of their conscience, they repress it. They reject it. Verse 21 tells us that. Why? Because the truth of God threatens their autonomy. It exposes their sinfulness. The truth of God's word will cramp their lifestyle. It will make them feel morally responsible for their actions. So they press down. They repress the truth. So unbelievers replace the truth with alternative belief systems, religion, science. I believe in science. Personal theories, even personal theories about Christianity that don't require, are you ready? Repentance. Repentance. Any view that embraces accountability to God or a change of morality is rejected because they do not want to repent of their sin, period. Verse 23, that's why Paul says every unbeliever everywhere who continues to repress the truth until the end of his life, verse 20, listen, look at it, look at verse 20, they will stand guilty without excuse on the day of judgment, without excuse. No one will ever accuse God of being unjust when he condemns them forever to hell. No one. Because they knew there was a God, they knew he was worthy of their worship, offering their life to him. No matter what they say, they know God is present. No matter what they say, they know it. I can hear some of you saying, well, that's unfair. Well, you'd be right. If. If. Anyone, anywhere deserved eternal life, but we don't. You'd be right, it's unfair, if God himself didn't suffer and die in order to provide you with a way to be right with him. 
you'd be right and say it's unfair if God didn't reveal himself to unbelievers continually, ongoing through creation, through conscience, through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, but he does. And you'd be right if God hadn't commanded believers everywhere to share the good news to everyone on planet earth, and he did. Are you getting it? God is not unjust. He has done all that and more. Therefore, in verses 24 to 32, our focus this morning, God tells us the answers to our questions about what God is doing with the LGBTQ. Why is evil growing? Why are the sexes being redefined? Why are governments actually trying to restrict Christians from sharing the gospel to that community? Why is that? Well, look at what God does in verse 24, 26, and 28. 2, 2, 2. 24, 26, 28. Take a look at it. Verse 24. Therefore, it says, God gave them what? God gave them over to the lusts of their heart. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28. God gave them over to a depraved mind. Whenever you see a repetition there, you know something unique is going on here. What does it mean when God gives someone over? What does it mean? That's the first part of our message this morning to explain what exactly is going on when God gives you over. Number one in your outline, the description of God giving over. The description of God giving over. Now that word gave over is used in the New Testament in a variety of ways. It's giving one's body to be burned. Three times it's used of Jesus who gave himself up to death. It's used of men who are being committed to prison or to judgment, and it's also being used of rebellious angels who were condemned to pits of darkness. They were given over to judgment. So giving over is a vehement action of God against sin. God giving over is a vehement action of God against sin, against sin. Now, let me help you understand this. Some people have weird views of this. So giving over is not like me being in outer space and taking a glass, a very fine glass, and just letting it go. Because if it was in outer space, it would just float away. It would be great if I could do that here this morning, but I can't because it's not our facility, and it's a gym, and so it's going to make a big mess, and somebody's going to cut their feet. But if I took that glass and I let it go here, what's going to happen? Eventually, it's going to find its way down, and what's going to happen? that's giving over. When God lets you go, there's going to be a consequence. It's going to happen. Sometimes immediately, sometimes a little bit later, but before eternity, there's going to be consequence when God gives over. It's a vehement action of God against sin. God giving over leads to fierce consequences. Fierce consequences. Why? Because of four different aspects of this frightening action of God, of God giving over. Number one, first, God is punishing sin now, not just later. God is punishing sin now, not just later. You know unbelievers who keep restraining the truth and repressing the truth, they're going to face ultimate condemnation in the future. But what happens to those truth rejectors now, in this life, in the meantime, What about the 30-year-old truth repressor who's theoretically got another 30 to 50 more years to lie about God, to rebel against God? Why should a holy God, and what should he do in the meantime with a committed truth repressor exchanger? Well, the answer is God gives them over. He actually is punishing them for their sins now. 
when he gives them over, he's allowing people to reap the results of their own choices now. The focus of this first element of God giving over is timing. You might want to write that in your outline. Timing is the issue here. If God gives you over, it means he is letting you have what you think you want now. God is saying, you asked for it, you got it. Sounds like a Toyota commercial. You can go out and really make a mess of your life and all not stop you, God is saying, right now. You have a choice of following me. You have a choice of rebelling or following your own desires. So you go ahead, but understand you will suffer the consequences as you go your way. This is the wrath of God. Understand, you need to get this really clear. Take a look at 118 again in Romans. As Paul described the beginning of this section, he says, For the wrath of God is what? Revealed. Do you see that revealed there? The literal rendering there is being revealed right now. It's ongoing revealed. It's present tense. This is something that God is doing. What's he saying here? For the wrath of God is currently, right now, being revealed from heaven against this world, all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men who are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. What he's saying in Romans 1.18, he's not talking about future. He's not talking about hell. He's not talking about the future judgment that you will face. He's talking about God's anger against sin is being revealed right now. Don't forget that. Some of you are going, man, it seems unfair. The, the, the unbelievers are getting away with this. They're not getting away with it. They are being judged right now. God, again, is not talking about the future or hell. He's talking about that he's allowing people to do their own thing and they will reap the results of their actions. That's the wrath of God in this life. That's why you see the wrath of God everywhere right now. You can see it where? In broken marriages, in messed up homes, in indifferent, you know, people, in child abuse, in abortion, in now lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. The Bible says that is the wrath of God. The wrath of God is when we get ourselves in a mess and God doesn't bail us out. We reap what we what? So, and that's exactly what he says in Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. Listen, people, do not be deceived about this. Don't lie to yourself about this. Understand, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. So God says, unbeliever, don't think you could be indifferent to God and not have your heart drift away even further. Unbeliever, don't think you can take drugs and not or avoid getting addicted. Unbeliever, don't think you can cheat on your spouse and not ruin your marriage. Unbeliever, don't think you can choose to confuse your gender and not suffer mentally. Or don't think you can participate in gay or lesbian sex and not suffer physically or emotionally with disease, anger, suicide, or worse. God says, my wrath is being revealed right now in consequence. Right now. Some of you have had a hard week. Some of you have had a hard month. Some of you have had a hard 2021 year. Some of you have had a really hard life. And sometimes when you look at that unbeliever, you know, in the media or somebody down the street or somebody you know or some relative, and it looks like their life is really going great. They've got a yacht. They, they got all the time. They got all the money they want. And you're looking at that going, why isn't something happening to them and I'm experiencing all this trial? What's going on? Come on, is anybody with me on this? 
Come on, doesn't that rise up in your heart at some point? At some point. Understand. Remember, Christian, that's the outside. That's not the heart. You don't know what's going on internally in them. They're paying a price for their sin. Their inner man, their inner woman is dying under the consequence of their sin. They give themselves a persona, but it's not reality. It's not. And that was timing. God's wrath is happening right now. What else does it mean when God gives over? Secondly, in your outline, God is punishing sin with more sin. God is punishing sin with more sin. And this is the type of punishment in God giving over. And God doesn't send fire and brimstone down on others right now. Though if you live in Tonga, you've got a little bit of that. But understand, the effects of living without God produces its own destructive slide into more sin. Take a look at Psalm 81, verses 11 through 12. God says this, look at it, Israel did not obey me, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart, now watch, to walk in their own what? Devices. How do we see God's wrath today with sin that leads to more sin? Casual drugs leads to addiction. A little flirting at the office leads to adultery. Uh, Too much affection as singles leads to fornication. God's wrath is punishing sin with sin. There are those who say, well, I can do as I please. I don't have to obey any of God's laws. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. Who are you to tell me what to do? That's as foolish as breaking the laws of nature. So let's define it now as breaking the laws of nature. You're a free man. Let's just pick on the guys for a second. And you're full of yourself and you, I'm in control. And so you go to the top of the Empire State Building and say, hey, I'm free. I'm free. Nobody's telling me what to do. I can jump off this building. No problem. I'm free to do that. And guess what? You are free to do that. You are free, but not without consequence, right? Right? And you can jump off. And you're going, yeah, baby, this is awesome. And you could be 24s below looking out the window, and you're going, hey, how's it going? You're going, so far, so good. It's looking pretty good, right? He's having the best time of his life until he hits bottom. And then there's what? Splat. There's consequence, correct? You know anybody like that? Maybe you know someone like that. They're just living it up, but they're on their way to massive consequence, to a splat. When we break God's laws, they break us. And what God means when he gives people over, he's saying when he gives them over, they suffer the destruction of their sin working in them and through them, and that is his wrath. So it's not only the timing now, but it's also the type of sin, you know, begets sin, and then giving unbelievers over. Thirdly, third in your outline, God is punishing sin because of independent rebellious choices. Here's the cause. What brings this about? What brings about this giving over is the rebellious independent choices. The cause is the focus here, and God says, in effect, you've been trying to bust free and have it your own way, and when God lets a non-believer go like that, the unbeliever rushes out and goes, man, I'm free, I'm free from God, good riddance, God, I'm glad to get you off my back. Man, what a relief. He has no idea what he's saying, or she. He's been so thoroughly self-deceived by his own truth repression, and so deceived by the evil one, that he has no concept at all about 
God's abandonment and what that will mean over the long haul. They have no concept of where this is going. This is a frightening truth. Are you ready? You might want to write it down. When people persistently abandon God, God will abandon them. When people persistently abandon God, God will abandon them. That's church discipline. Uh, works that same way with a Christian. We're talking about non-Christians here. But with a Christian who continually abandons God, the church is commanded by God to abandon that Christian until they repent. Take a look at Judges chapter 10, verse 13. Take a look at it. The Lord said to Israel, You have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you what? No more. Wow. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 20. God said through his prophet, God said to Judah, because you have forsaken the Lord, the Lord God has also what? Forsaken you. When a truth suppressor, putting down the truth. I'm not going to acknowledge the truth. They continue to rebel, exchanging the truth for a lie, refusing to bow down and give God glory. It's as if God says, enough's enough. God says, okay, no more. You love your life more than you love me. You love your lifestyle more than you, the one that I offered. You love your vices more than my truth. Hit the road. Have it your way. Sounds like McDonald's. Have it your way. God gives people over because of their rebellion. And finally, God gives up, meaning the timing, the type. Now we took at the cause, and now here's the last one, the method. Number four in your outline, God is punishing sin by removing restraints. Here's the method. This is what God does. Here's how he does it. God declared through Paul to the unbelieving crowd in Lystra in Acts 14, 16, in generations gone by, God permitted the nations to what? What's it say? Go their own way. Wow, man, that's something you don't want God to say. Go your own way. When God says, I let go, he's saying, you're free from my watch care. You're free from my guidance. You're free from me wooing you and me prompting you you're free from how i've restrained satan the evil one from having his way with you do you remember what god said to peter what jesus informed him of when the evil one wanted to attack simon peter in luke twenty two thirty one? jesus said simon simon behold satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat man he wants to rake you over the coals Remember the plans that the evil one, Satan, had for Job? And he did some pretty, pretty horrific things to Job. But God said, but there's a line you can't cross. In Job chapter 2, verse 6, he said, you must not and cannot take his life. Restraining the evil one from that particular perspective, that particular action. Understand, friends, this kind of restraining and evil goes on all the time. God even restrains Satan's work on unbelievers so that they can be drawn and God can draw unbelievers to himself, but that will not continue forever. Understand, Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, my spirit shall not, what? Strive with man forever, which is to say God is slow to anger. God is long in his fuse, but his justice and his wrath will ultimately also be expressed. There comes a point where God says, enough is enough, have it your way, I'm letting go. And when God gives over, he stops all restraint, and even if Satan does nothing, listen, people will ruin themselves. Most of you here have a home or apartment or somewhere, you've got a, a place where you have plants, right? 
If you don't manage that place with your plants, what grows there? Weeds. Weeds. And then weeds reproduce. You don't have to do a thing. They just come up. Are you with me on this? Evil. I call them evil weeds. They just appear and they reproduce evil. All it takes is you not maintaining. Even if the enemy doesn't go after you. Just allowing your flesh to continue unabated is going to ultimately result in a massive amount of weeds choking out the good. Because the bad always chokes out the good. Why? Because mankind is not basically good, but evil. And his nature is bent towards sin. So when God gives over, he stops restraining evil. You know that the prodigal son had no idea that he would end up in pig slop? He had no idea. Unbelievers have no idea when they start suppressing truth and crying for freedom from God, what will happen to them. They don't realize that they're an ongoing slide, unobstructed, with no heavenly restraint into a steep descent into depravity. And that's point number two in your outline. Now, the next letter, D, the descending steps over God giving unbelievers over. The descending steps. How low will it go? How bad will culture get? How far will people go in this decline? Well, God tells us that he shows his wrath three ways. And I'm going to show you these three counts of wickedness submitted by Paul against his case against humanity. And the first one in your outline is first, the downward step toward immoral passions. The downward step toward immoral passions. Doesn't that sound like verse 24? He says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their what? Hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. That, that sounds like the sexual revolution of the 60s when America lost its ability to blush. I mean, fornication, adultery became rampant. You know that 27 times in the New Testament we are commanded or exhorted to avoid premarital sex, sex outside of marriage. And yet, what we know about people today is you know and I know people who basically want to go out and sow their wild oats and then they pray for a crop failure, right? You getting that? They don't want consequences. They're going to sow the oats, but they, they want the crop to fail. It's an odd thing to me how people are really concerned about AIDS, about pregnancy, about venereal disease, but when you suggest that they should abstain, they're offended. What is that? Well, notice verse 24, where sin starts, in the heart. Do you see it there? The desires of the heart. The key is the heart. Notice, the lust of the heart to impurity. Their heart is the key to walking with God, and their heart is the place where people begin their dealing and decline in sin. That's what Jesus said, and we've been looking at this as James looked at the mouth in James 3. Matthew 15, 19 and 20, For out of the heart came evil thoughts, and murderers, and adulteries, and fornications, and thefts, and false witness, and slanders. No one sins outwardly without sinning inwardly first. And inwardly, Jeremiah chapter 17, 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately what? Sick. So you clean up your appearance, even external behavior, but only God through Jesus Christ, can clean up your heart. You may clean up your behavior. You may look really neat. But inside, 
you've got to be washed clean. You've got to be transformed. You've got to be made new. And that's the gospel, friends. Regeneration, born again. And if you don't ask Christ to clean you up internally, then God can give you over to impurity externally, meaning uncleanness, sexual sins, and more, which will result in your whole being, body and soul, to be degraded and to be disgraced. And that's verse 24. Notice what it says in verse 25. Take a look at it. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Now, in the Greek, that literally is the lie, not a lie. Write that in your Bible. It's not a lie, it's the lie. And you might want to take note of that because it means that they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. What is the lie that causes so much trouble in our lives and really messes up the unbeliever? Well, it's the lie of Genesis 3. It's the lie. And the lie of Genesis 3 is, are you ready? You can do whatever you want and there's no consequences and you are God. That's the lie. What did he say in Genesis 3? He said, surely you will not die, no consequence. You can sin and get away with it. You're not going to die. Everything's cool. There's no consequences to your actions. And then he says in verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, of your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, you're going to be your own God, knowing good and evil, and basically that's the lie. Number two, that you could be your own God. You're the one that's in charge, and both of those are lies. No one but God is in charge, and there are serious consequences to all your actions, not just your marriage, not just your family, but way beyond that. Serious consequences. Look back at 125 again. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie, that lie that you can be God, there are no consequences to sin, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the, what, creator who is blessed forever, amen. The, these moral decisions are all evidence of self-worship. It's all about them. It's all about what they want. It's all about their desires. It's like a selfie, right? It's all about me, a selfie. You know why they call it a selfie, right? Because narcissisty is too hard to say. Okay? So that's the first step. They're just exalting themselves. And they just want what they want. And my pleasure is everything. Secondly, the second downward step is secondly, the downward step of indecent perversions. Indecent perversions. In verse 26, God gives people over to degrading passions like coming out of the closet of the 70s. People giving themselves to sexual perversion, distorting a good gift of God into an evil aberration. So take a look at what that aberration is in verse 26 and 27. Take a look at it. Underline this. For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. Verse 27. And in the same way, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, what is God saying here? Females, who are usually more reluctantly than males, to participate in sexual perversion, stopped the natural sexual expression as God designed it and gave in to abnormal, literally the word there, abnormal or unnatural, means against nature. Just against nature. It's how the way God designed it. Against nature sexual expression. And men burned with out-of-control lust for other men instead of for females. This is not an alternative lifestyle. This is out-of-control desire. It is not an alternative lifestyle. 
It is out-of-control desire. It means out-of-control, so much so that the men of Sodom, even after being made blind, wearied themselves trying to find the doorway into Lot's house in order to pursue their vile passion. Homosexual lust burns so out of control that there are actually police classes so that police can discern immediately if a murder's been committed by a homosexual. It's that obvious. Listen, God declares a couple of things in these two verses. Look at what the Bible says. This is His authority, not mine. This is not what I say. This is what the Bible teaches. And what the Bible teaches is that homosexuality, which is a choice, is a degrading passion. It is unnatural against nature. It involves out-of-control lust and indecent acts resulting in a horrible physical consequence. Please stop buying into the media lies and the modern cultural rhetoric. This is a sin. Now, are we to love the homosexual? Yes or no? Yes. Are we to love those who are lesbians? Yes or no? Yes. We're not to be pounding on people. We're to be sharing the truth with them and expressing the love of God to them. But that does not take away God's explanation and God's analysis that this is an aberration. This is not His will. This is not pleasing to Him. God so abhors homosexuality that He determined that the shameful acts that women commit with women and men commit with men would result in their receiving, verse 27, look at it, verse 27, in their own persons the due penalty of their error. They'll be judged by the self-destructiveness of their sin. The appalling physical consequences of homosexuality are visible evidence of God's righteous condemnation. Unnatural vice brings its own perverted reward. Maybe you have not had that much contact, but I have had men and women in my office in the past and have been horrified by the consequences of their sin upon themselves. And so much so, it's overwhelming. The Romans did not need any explanation of this. Their society was a corrupt and morally sick culture And there's really strong evidence that the first 14 out of 15 Caesars were homosexuals. God gives people over to be involved in immoral passions. And God gives people over to be involved in indecent perversions, which becomes a hell on earth to them. To them. They're not gay. This is a misnomer. They're not happy, they're experiencing guilt. They'll lie to you and tell you they are, but they're angry and they experience severe emotional and physical consequence. Then there's the third step in culture, and that is the third downward step toward irrational practices. Irrational practices. Understand, look at verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, they gave them over to a what? Depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. A depraved mind is a corrupt and godless mind. A godless mind that results in people doing things that are irrational, meaning things that shouldn't be done. 
The word depraved there was commonly used of metals that were rejected by refiners because of impurities, and so they were considered, are you ready? Write it down, useless and worthless. Verse 28 is not a picture of a drooling psychopath. This is not a drooling psychopath. It is a talk show host. It is a news reporter. It is a politician here. It is a college professor who views God as worthless and useless. That's what's being described here. You ever scanned the news and went, these people are on crazy pills. Anybody with me? You're going, what in the world is going on here? Gene often informs me in the morning of the latest aberrancy in the news. And I'm thinking, the world's insane. What's going on? You watched it? That they would do that or what they would report that? You're going, this is crazy. That's this verse. He's telling you this is the result of this decline in culture. Because they have a depraved mind, they have stooped to the point where God, His character, His moral laws, His righteous standards are continually viewed as useless and worthless to the point that it leads to a depravity in behavior that's insane and senseless. How bad is it? Take a look at verse 29 to 31. Verses 29 to 31 is like taking the lid off a hell and taking a look inside. What happens when Christ is continually thought of as useless and worthless? Look at verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, filled with it, filled with wickedness, filled with greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, cancel culture, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. What in the world is that doing here? Disobedient to parents? I guess God views that a little bit more seriously than maybe we do. And then he says, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, 21 different types of sin here cataloged. One preacher called this section the sin-o-rama. That's really it. When God actively lets go, verses 21, 29 to 31 is what happens. Uh, things like unrighteousness. Unrighteousness, everything that's opposed to God's character and law. Strife, just always strife, always attacking. Wickedness, the second listing here. Those who take pleasure in, in vicious actions against God. It's, it's defying God. It's going against Him. Murder, the sixth one, is an inward hate of heart that sometimes leads to the outward act of taking someone's life. And even look at the last one, 16, inventors of evil. Keeping, they keep inventing new ways of expressing sin. The list wasn't intended to be exhaustive. Just 21 random kinds of sin that get worse when people are given over by God, which leads us to verse 32, which adds this. Take a look at verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God, do they know the law of God, yes or no? Yes, they know it already. They know there's a right and wrong. Though they ignore it, though they know it, those who practice such things are worthy of what? Death. Paul says, listen, unbelievers know there's a God. They know his moral law. They understand there is a right and a wrong established by God, and they chose to disobey, and the sentence from God is what? Death. Not physical death in this context here. He's talking about eternal spiritual death of hell. And if that's not enough, look at verse 32 as it finishes, the second half of the verse. They not only do the same, but they also give heartily what? 
approval of those who practice them. This is the ultimate. Not only do they get involved with sin, but they approve of other people sinning. Simply this. Now, please don't miss this. This word approval actually means applause. It actually is the word for applause. And if you're going, what in the world is going on here? What, what is happening here? Do you remember when you were a kid? You know, for some of you last week, for a few of you, it was a millennia ago. But you remember when you were a kid and you wanted to do something wrong? What did you want more than anything in the moment you were doing something wrong? Does anybody remember? You wanted people with you. You wanted your friends with you that to diffuse your wrongness. Is anybody with me on this? Did anybody participate in this? Would you admit it? Thank you, all five of you. I was a big gamer. I was always dragging people into the, 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 the doorway of hell. I mean, I was just, I was there, okay? I, come on with me, boys, so I feel better about myself. This is exactly what is going on today. Why is there this pressure? Why are these, these laws? So that they don't feel the guilt of what they do. That's why. So they diminish the guilt. They want it to be legal. They want it to be that you could never actually talk to me about not being this way because I won't, don't want anybody reminding me of my massive guilt that I have that's intrinsic in me. That's the motive. That's the drive. This is driving the LBGTQ movement. They, they're literally, the Greek word here is applaud. So hearty approval is applaud. Anytime somebody does something evil and wrong, it justifies their own behavior. And now they're layering it with other motivations. They're laying right with, I don't have to be ashamed. Why? If you disagree, you're a hater. You're a racist because we're a minority group. You're a bigot. You're opposed to religious freedom. And if you don't like my immoral position, then you are the problem, not me. Are you getting it? It's all based on, I don't want to feel guilty. I want to get rid of this guilt and they can't do it. No matter what they do, they will still be under condemnation internally there'll be that lingering voice does this happen in our society every single day on television every new movie that's out they parade the non-stop lineup of these cinerama 21 list of romans 1 and what does the audience do on jerry springer what do they do they applaud evil they applaud it in order to justify their sinfulness. You thought that the Bible wasn't relevant. This is describing our day. Honestly, it's almost as if this list of Romans 1 is the script for modern media to promote sexual promiscuity and sexual perversion. Every show has got to have a transgender or a gay on it now. In fact, not only do they applaud it, but they're awarded Emmys and Oscars for their work at exposing Romans 1. So let's take this home. This is a pretty bleak picture because God says the opposite of evolution is taking place. Do you understand that? We're not evolving, we're devolving. It's getting worse. 
Man isn't getting better. They're getting worse. God put man in the Garden of Eden, and he, it was perfect. And then as a result of the fall into sin, it's all been downhill after that. Nothing's getting better. And with the parallels of step one in the 60s, step two in the 70s, and step three of God giving over, now in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, we're in big trouble in 222. This is an ongoing decline. So what do we do? What do we do? Despair, run around, scream? No, letter A, rejoice in what Christ can do for you. Rejoice with a pastor's heart. I can't leave you here. Look right back, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I believe in the power of the gospel. In fact, take a look at Romans chapter 5. Is there any hope? Thank God there is. Romans 5, 8 and 9. But God demonstrates his own what? Wait, wait, wait. His own what? Aren't you glad? This verse exists because this verse is about Chris Mueller. His love towards Chris and that while Chris was a sinner, Jesus Christ died for him. And every believer in this room can say the same thing. He died for us. Uh, the, the, the ground at the cross is level, friends. You are no better than anyone else on this planet. You are not called to run around and condemn. You're called to share Christ. And yes, they have to repent. Yes, no matter what sinner they are, what their style of sin is, they have to repent. Because we're all under it. And yet, he died for us. And look at verse 9 much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from what? The wrath of God. Romans 1, through Christ. Take a deep breath, friends. That's good news. We are saved from the wrath. Yes, your sin is bad. Yes, your, your sin is trouble. And, and you are in trouble before God. But God has the answer, His Son, Jesus Christ. He sent His Son, God incarnate, to take the punishment for you. To bear the wrath that you deserved. And if you repent and trust Him, I don't care what your lifestyle is. If you repent and you turn to Christ, you will be saved. You will be transformed. You will be able to walk in His ways and not be enslaved to sin anymore. Letter B. Keep the right priority. Share the good news. Romans 1 again. As God lets people go, as culture falls apart and it's falling apart, as things get worse and worse, what are we supposed to give our time to? We should march. We should fight. We should protest. Change laws. Get the right people elected. That's the answer. What power do we have to change things? What should we do? Romans 1.16. The power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to change lives. Listen, no law has ever changed a person's heart. No politician has ever given eternal life to anyone. Does gover better government make better people or better people make better government? The answer is better people make better government. And only Jesus Christ can make you better internally and externally. Only Jesus Christ. And how did Christ change the world? Did he protest? Did he run for Caesar? Did he overturn the laws of the land? Did he stop slavery? No. 
he invested his life into 12, into 120, into 500, who then did the same, and that turned the world upside down. Now, we might be in the midst of the declining culture that is not going to turn around, and it's going to bring about his return. It's going to bring about the end-time results. We might be in that place, but we still can stand for Christ. Amen? We can. And God's ways are not man's ways. Give the majority of your time to the gospel and the establishment of the local church. Be very picky where you put your money. Be very selective. Don't be a part of the massive crowd that's convinced that they can change the world man's way. Don't be convinced and be a part of the high-powered crowd who, in the name of Christ, are actually trying to stop God's righteous wrath. Here God is giving people over to sin and allowing sin to punish sin, and they're trying to stop sin. We're not here to stop sin. We're here to proclaim Christ who stops sin. Don't be a part of the crowd that's trying to stop God's judgment for sin instead of doing what Christ called us to do. Share the gospel. Invest in the gospel. Keep doing the right priority and make sure your focus is there in proclaiming Christ through the establishment of a healthy local church. Letter C. Don't isolate yourself from the world. How can a Christian live in a world with transgender, transsexual, gender, gender variant? And some of you have young babies and kids and you're going, what am I going to do? Listen, the good news keeps getting better because the bad news keeps getting badder. And the darker the velvet, the brighter the diamond shine on that velvet. And understand, we can thank God for an incredible good news, incredible grace, incredible mercy every single day. But how do we continue to live in this world? Well, first, it's not imitating. That's Romans 12. Don't imitate the world. We're not supposed to do what they do. We're supposed to be unique and different. And it's okay to be unique and different. In fact, you're now in a culture, you have to be unique and different. You can't survive now. Secondly, not isolation. You know, only work with Christians, only talk to Christians, only go to school with Christians, be friends with Christians. Listen, Jesus said you have to live in the world but not be what? Of the world, right? You can't isolate yourself and live in a monastery. Christianity's tried that. That was a big failure. And so it's not imitation. It's not isolation. It's insulation. Build yourself in the Word of God. Build yourself in the people of God in prayer so that you're now strong enough to be able to stand for Christ. Listen, anybody like fishing? Don't raise your hand. The fishermen are really maniacal. First hour, they were out of, the, out of control. <laughs> out of control. You go fishing in the deep sea, you know, salty water. You pull that sea bass out, you know, and it's been living its whole life in this salty ocean the water's been going through its gills constantly, seawater, salty water. You cut that fish open, you fry it up in a pan, I guarantee you're going to put some salt on that. Why? Because there's no salt in the fish. Somehow, God designed it to live its entire life in a salty ocean, and there's no salt inside. None. Listen, you can live in the midst of perversion. You can li live in the midst of aberration. And if you've got the Spirit of God and you're depending on the Word of God and you're depending on prayer, you can live insulated in this world in the midst of a hostile world even. You can. Because greater is He in you than He, what? In the world. It's true. It's true. And then, letter D, commit yourself to loving those without Christ. Now I'm going to ask a very hard question. 
can someone ever be saved once God gives them over? And I believe the Bible teaches that it's theologically possible and it's practically improbable. Sin seems to cause a further hardening, a further deceitfulness. So there's a slow sinking into the oblivion of depravity and rarely does anybody come to their senses if they go down that road, but some do. And here's the key. You and I don't know who's going to respond. Right? And one of our favorite preachers of the past, Charles Spurgeon, said if the elect had a yellow stripe going up their back, I'd spend my entire life pulling up shirt tails. Are they the elect? Are they the elect? But because they don't, then I preach to everyone and those who are elect will respond. You don't know who is. You don't know who isn't. Neither do I. So we need to share Christ with everyone. Anybody. LGBTQ, just the normal neighbor across the street. It doesn't matter. You share Christ with everyone. Recommit yourself to reach unbelievers, even those given over to lust, even those like all non-Christians who are under his wrath. Listen, here's the hard question this morning. If you don't share Christ, if you don't share the gospel now with others, how in the world are you going to share Christ with anybody when it becomes illegal to share? We got to do it now. It's got to be a part of us now. Laws are in place in Canada right now. Right now in California, they can fine you. Maybe in the future they'll arrest you for sharing the gospel with those of the LGBTQ. That's how far it's gotten. Do not remain silent. Ask yourself, are you going to obey man's law? Are you going to obey God's word? In Rome, you say, this is what we just exegeted. This is what we just exposed. We exposed Rome. And in Rome... If you said, and Christians say this, and they did, Jesus is Lord, they could be arrested and killed because in Roman society, it was only Caesar who was Lord. And when you proclaimed someone else, you were a traitor. And they could throw you in the arena, and they did. And guess what? The Romans still shared Christ. Will you? Will you? God is not calling you. Please listen. God is not calling you to scream or to yell or to fight or to threaten or carry a megaphone and against those enslaved to immoral sin or confused at gender. That is not honoring to Christ. That is not but Christ is calling you to share the good news. The good news of freedom. Anybody remember that you were enslaved to sin? It's like yesterday for me. I was in bondage. And only Christ could free me. And the salvation of forgiveness of those enslaved to sin and committing horrific sins. Tell them of His mercy and grace and love. Tell them of His heart-healing, sin-freeing salvation. Tell them of His life-transforming power. Tell them, God loves you.
and he's calling you to repent. Never give up on anyone, no matter how depraved, how hard, how hostile. Keep sharing, keep praying, keep serving, keep loving, keep telling. God can and God will change the hardest of hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work in our midst this morning to change our lives, change our hearts. If some need to come and respond to you and that you would open their heart to the gospel, that they would understand what it means to be born again for the first time, they could respond to you in repentance and faith and believe that what you did was the truth. It is grounded in reality. It's grounded in historicity. It is the truth of the gospel. And for the rest of us, may we worship you today by changing the way we think, changing the way we act, and that we might be all the more loving and more bold. And the bolder we are, the more loving and gracious we'd be. But Father, help us to stand firm on the power of the gospel to bring you glory. We pray that you would receive our worship by, again, us offering our lives to you. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.